Welcome to the Lodestar. My name is Mike King and I edit and produce Lodestar podcasts. Over the last year, we've heard so much about the need for more UK port capacity. Well, in this sponsored podcast, your host, Lodestar Managing Editor Gavin Van Marl, will explore one project that will deliver just that. He's looking at DP Wales' decision to construct a new terminal at its London Gateway complex. Gavin will be getting answers about why this is so important for UK PLC and European shipping and logistics from his guest today, the UK Chief Executive of DP World, Ern Schulzer. The whole full project is about, from let's say today onwards, is about a little bit less than two years. Total investment, 350 million. Now, it goes into infrastructure, key, yard, but also into uh, equipment. New key cranes, these, these big cranes that load and discharge uh, the vessels, yard equipment, but also we put a lot of energy in sustainable solutions. For example, it will be all electric. The way it's being built, we use certain norms that it needs to be built. So with other words, try to uh, build the facility based on as lowest carbon uh, as possible. Hello everybody, I'm Gavin Van Marl and this is the Lodestar Podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by Ernst Schulzer, UK Chief Executive DP World. Welcome Ernst. Thank you very much Gavin, happy to be here. It's great to have you here Ernst. Let's cut to it. We've had a serious amount of disruption at UK ports throughout the pandemic, I don't think there's any question about that, largely because of unprecedented levels of demand. Now DP World operates two key container ports, London Gate and Southampton, and earlier this month you announced a major expansion at London Gateway. Ernst, could you talk about the rationale behind this investment decision, please? Yeah, well thanks for giving the opportunity to explain that a little bit. I think before we dive into um, the rationale for the opportunity, I think just to put it in the right context, DP World, we're quite a big investor here in the UK. As you mentioned yourself, uh, we have ports in um, London Gateway and also Southampton. We also run a logistics park here in London Gateway and we have a digital platform basically for customs clearances, which is called CMS. I think very important to understand that what we do here in the UK is working with all these assets together. So it's not like a single business for one or the other, but it's very important for our strategy, also for the long term, that it's, it's the two-port strategy and really a port-centric approach to it. Now, if you look at what's happening in the world at the moment, and especially over the past years, is that the whole supply chain has become far more complex than it was before. When I was young, and I'm sure I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was young, in the winter, you could only have an apple and a pear, but these days you can have any fruit in the shop. You, you know, I eat in the, mor- in the morning forage with uh, blueberries, and I can make a choice if the blueberries are organic, if they come from Argentina, if they come from uh, Egypt even, uh, South America, or Australia. So basically that means that the whole supply chain has become far more complex and far more demanding. Now, in that context, we have also changed our approach, of course. We used to be a um, traditional port operator. We handled containers from a ship into the yard and it was picked up. Now, that is not sufficient anymore. And all with the complexity these days and all the high demand for customers, you have to change your approach, your strategy. So now we're really this end-to-end logistics supplier. So basically getting from the things that are produced on the factory floor, being delivered at the customer's door. That's basically what what we're doing. 
and that there is a strong need for that to make sure that things keep going. Now, going back to then why we are investing so heavy in, in the UK and especially in, in London Gateway, it has to do with a couple of things. First of all, as I mentioned, the complexity of the supply chain. Eh? The, the supply chain was always based on just in time. And now we've seen over the past two years, as you mentioned before, a lot of disruption. So there's a lot of moments that things don't work just in time anymore because of geopolitical issues, because of physical issues, storms, et cetera, et cetera. So, so basically, there's a lot of reason to um, create more buffers into the supply chain. So that's the reason, and we've seen that over the past years, is that we need more capacity for the bigger ships that are coming onto the market and also make sure that the supply chain keep running. So that's why we have decided to invest not only in, in on the gateway, but also in Southampton. We, we plowed uh, 40 million pounds into the facility this year and last year to make sure that we are ready for the future. We're doing a lot of other things there as well. But for London Gateway, is especially the birth four, which will basically create another 30% extra capacity for us to handle bigger ships and more volume and the other logistics activities. Next to the infrastructure, which we are going to extend, which costs about 350 million pounds over the next two years, we also are developing further our presence in the logistics park. Uh, every year we are building new sheds over there. And we're also getting more involved in the supply chain itself by transportation and giving all kinds of services, which has to do with the supply chain. So reasons to further invest in capacity, bigger ships, more flexibility, and at the end, you know, better products for customers and hopefully also cheaper products for the consumers. That's great. Thank you. If we just stick for the moment, just on the infrastructure development itself, could you detail the size of the investment? I think you mentioned 300 million there. And what sort of time scale will the berth be built out at? And how will it be integrated into the existing operation at London Gateway? Yeah, but basically the London Gateway, if you look at the whole footprint of London Gateway, and I'm only talking about the port, uh, let's separate the park a little bit. The port, uh, there is basically a possibility, like we called, we can put six berths into the operation. We have three today. Uh, we're a little bit over halfway. If we put birth four, there's not a possibility to move on with birth five and maybe birth six. Now, the total, we are going to build birth four. We started already. The work is going on. We expect to deliver the full project in halfway 2024. It will be delivered in stages. So before that time, there will be parts of the operation will already be ready. But the whole full project is about from, let's say, today onwards is about a little bit less than two years. Total investment, 350 million. Now it goes into infrastructure, key, yard, but also into uh, equipment, new key cranes, these, these big cranes that load and discharge uh, the vessels, yard equipment, but also we put a lot of energy in sustainable solutions. For example, it will be all electric. The way it's being built, we use certain norms that it needs to be built. So with other words, try to uh, build the facility based on as low as carbon uh, as possible so that there's all, you know, that all the, let's say the whole investment goes into that area. And like I said, it will be integrated in the current operation. We have at the moment three births in a row, and this will be number four. Same concept, same setup, 
So it will be integrated with the systems, et cetera. So let's say as a, as a customer or a truck company, if you come into London Gateway, you will not really see the difference if you go in to pick up a container in birth one, two, three, or birth four, it will be pretty much integrated. So effectively, it's a sort of bolt-on investment, as it were. And for the techies amongst us, which I'm a fully paid-up member, will this this was it would also include an extension of the of the automatic stacking cranes that are in use in the existing facilities and that that higher degree of automation that we've seen at London Gateway. Yes, correct. I mean, it's the same concept. We're putting, of course, the newest technology in place, and certain things will be further automated. Let's say if you look at the certain equipment which is now still diesel or hybrid. We're going to electric. So th- those are going to be the differences. Some of the things can be done a little bit more remote, what we cannot do now. But yeah, in terms of technology, it will be the next level. But in terms of concept, it's pretty much uh, what we're doing uh, today, which has been very successful over the past couple of years. So there's no reason to change that. Absolutely. And then in terms to the wider trade, what sort of increase in annual handling capacity we must bring to London Gateway? And equally, what service benefits and options will shippers and forwarders and hauliers, as well as shipping lines, see once it begins operating? Well, the, the total capacity will increase with 30%. So the capacity, what we have today, uh, you can put 30% on top of it. Basically, what will it mean for customers? First of all, there is more and more a lack of deep, deep water birth in the world, but also in the UK. With the four births, you provide deep water birth. So any ships from any size can come into the port. And of course, you supply more capacity on rail. We can then handle more containers via rail, which is very important to us as well, to get more trucks off the road and put it on the rail because of the um, CO2 emission. It's one of the long-term solutions to bring uh, CO2 uh, emissions down. And for the whole year, it's, yeah, I mean, if there's more capacity, so I would imagine that service levels will remain the same or hopefully will even get better in the future. And could I just ask you to focus slightly more on the rail angle and look where that presents? We see the main road, the A13, which is, runs adjacent to London Gateway, is quite a congested road, certainly at peak times. So I just wondered how you're looking to develop the intermodal options. And then in, and in relation to the development of the fourth first, will that also necessitate further investment in the rail links to be able to seamlessly transfer the containers? Yes, correct. I mean, two things. First of all, let's say the road infrastructure in this area, the A13, which you're referring to, uh, is a lot better lately, yeah, because I suppose you are aware of it. The widening of the road is finished now. So the road is, has three lanes instead of what you have two lanes. So it makes already a big difference. But like I said before, uh, one of the focuses that we have is developing further rail. Now, at the moment, there's about roughly a little bit more than 20, 20 between 20-25% of the containers here in London Gateway are being handled by rail, which we believe should increase. I think the market, everybody agrees with doing that. Uh, of course, the rail operators, but also network rail. I think the communities also want to see more containers on the rail. So I think there's, in general, a, a positive view on further developing rail. It doesn't go from one day to the other. There's a lot of work needed. It's not only that we create capacity and then all the containers go by rail. There's more needed than that. And one of the most important things is that there is a lot of work together between the rail operators, between network rail, between ourselves to make sure that there is sufficient rail path. There is also at the end of the rail enough capacity to do that. Now, 
that there's a lot of work going on and we see that the, the share of rail is going up. And yeah, well, I'm quite confident that if we look at the future, that we will, will be able to increase the share of rail in that respect. I mean, it does strike me that it must be quite an interesting calculation to make that when you embark on building deep sea port capacity, that you need to make sure, particularly in a country like the UK, which is sort of being closed, that you need to make sure that there's actually sufficient hinterland capacity or inland rail depot capacity to handle the increased flow of goods coming through. How, how did that sort of factor into your plans? Well, that, that is very important. I mean, we are not going to build something on the, on the water side if you see that the land side is completely choked. I mean, that doesn't help. So, of course, that is a very important part of, of the whole setup. Uh, that's why the A13, of course, that, that's one of the projects already when along the gateway started at that time already, there was the A13 on the agenda, the widening, etc. So the, the infrastructure on the land side is a very important thing. Now, road, rail is also part of it. So we always take into account the land side handling of the cargo. And uh, that is an important thing. Otherwise, you don't do the investment on the work side. And we, we've kept up pretty good. And so like I said, one of the focus points for the next decades is to win to bring rail to a, to a higher level. And uh, that is a very important thing. And I think there's a lot of people uh, that want to be part of that. I think, you know, the, the use of rail obviously chimes very much with society's decarbonisation targets, right? So, I mean, like your terminal in Southampton was the first in Britain to eliminate fossil diesel from its operations by transitioning to hydro-treated vegetable oil, or HVO. Do you have similar plans for this type of fuel for London Gateway, or will perhaps you could discuss some of the other decarbonisation initiatives that are underway across the UK portfolio? I think in general, it's not only for Southampton or London Gateway. I think on our agenda, there are a few things. First of all, electrification. Everything what we can electrify, we will electrify. So all the investments that we make, all the replacement of equipment what we have, we will look into electrification. So that's one thing. HVO is another thing. In Southampton, we have done that this year. Along the gateway, we have not fully gone to HVO. That is something on the agenda to change that completely next year as well. So HVO for what the remaining diesel equipment in along the gateway is will also go to HVO. Third thing, as I mentioned a couple of times, is rail. We really uh, are pushing for the model shift from truck uh, to rail, which will help with decarbonization. Um, and another thing is, which is maybe not that obvious, is the port-centric model. Now, what I mean with port-centric model is that if you see that our park development, the logistics parking next to along the gateway, has done very well over the past few years. Now, to give you an example, I was talking a little bit about fruit before, but if you eat a banana, then probably that banana that you eat is mostly coming from along the gateway via the park and then going to Waitrose or Tesco's or Asda, and then you buy it and eat it. Now, what we have done over the past few years by developing the, the logistics park, we have those kind of business, like, for example, ripening facilities, cooling, freezing facilities, which usually were maybe further up in the country. Yeah? Let's say before you had to go all the way to the Midlands, and then from the Midlands, the banana was being distributed into London or something. No, by having... The facilities closer by the port, you do two things. First of all, it's more efficient eh? because you can put the ripening facility next to your port. You transport it over there. It's being ripened and, and it's not too far from London in this case. But the second thing what you do is you reduce carbon 
emissions as well, because it doesn't have to go all the way up in the north and go, go back down again. So there is a double advantage over there. And what we see, for example, over the past years, if you look at, and I keep, keep coming back to the fruit, but if you look at the whole, all the fruit which is being imported in the UK, there's about, well, all the fruit that's being consumed in the UK, 30% is local produce, other 30% comes from the EU the continent, and the other 30% comes from other parts of the world. Now, from all the other parts of the world, 30%, we do 70, 75% of that cargo is being handled in DP world, especially along the gateway, but also Southampton, because we put the cooling facilities close to the port and they're able to, you know, to immediately process these kind of goods and then they go to the final uh, retail uh, shop. So in terms of sustainability, it's not only one thing we're doing, we're all trying to do all kinds of things to make sure that for the future we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it a better world. I mean, that's, I think that's very interesting. I, mean, I, I was struggling to think prior to this interview, I was tossing up in my head the number of port executives that I know who also are directly in charge of the adjacent logistics part. You know, they've got seven, they're spinning several plates as it were. I mean, you've just been talking about some of the synergies that you, you have with the logistics part of the the ability, the potential port-centric logistics. I just wondered how how you actually operate the container terminal and the logistics park so that they provide a kind of seamless service. You know, in terms of like the technical stuff, of transferring the containers and clearing customs and these kind of moves. Basically, and, and we're developing that more and more, is that basically it depends completely what the customer wants, of course. I mean, we have the facility, we build it, Certain customers like to operate it in a warehouse themselves. So, for example, if you take cargo that's being discharged in London Gateway, we transport it to the logistics park, and then it goes into one of their warehouses, and then the company itself or a warehouse operator operates it, and then it's being distributed into um, the retail or wherever it has to go. Now, we have different models, or we are solely a landlord. Eh? We just build it and then we rent it out for you if you want to do it yourself. But in other cases, uh, we can operate it ourselves or we provide different services. So we have different models of how we do that. Now, I worked for DP World already quite some years. I've been many places uh, in the world, Europe, Far East, South America, and back in Europe. For example, my last stint was in, in South America. We did all green field projects over there and the greenfield project was including the logistics centers because we see that that model that we have started years ago that works out very good and that's why you know if we go into these places greenfields or even brownfields if we have to refurbish the whole thing the philosophy is that we also have logistics facilities very close by and that has that worked very well and i think especially along the gateway we've seen over the past couple of years that the, the logistics park has developed enormously. And like I said, in different concepts, you know, in, in, in we can, we can depend what the customer wants. Not everybody wants the same thing and we can discuss and then we decide how we can do it. Currently, the logistics park at London Gateway has planning consent for over, what, 9 million square feet, I believe, of warehousing like manufacturing. So what's the timeline for building these facilities? I mean, and, and how do you see the logistics park there evolving over the next 24 months. Yeah. So if you look at the logistics park along the gateway, we have now more than 50% occupied or committed with actual contracts. 
we believe between the next five to seven years, most of the park will be occupied and that will be mostly logistics related companies, but also some light industrial activities, etc. So that's about the timeline. We, we've seen that over the past one, one and a half year, we had a lot of inquiries, especially after we got the, the Thames Freeport was approved that has helped with getting more uh, interest in the park. And yeah, it's pretty buoyant at the moment. So we believe that over the next five, like I said, five to seven years that we can uh, pretty much get everything occupied. Great. And if I, if I may just interject another question here, thank you for mentioning Freeports. I, I just wondered what sort of spur the Freeports announcement might have made to business at London Gateway, but also what opportunities you think the Freeports opens up for DP World and its business on the Thames? There's two things over here. Of course, you have the fact that you're a free port and that you give a lot of publicity on it creates a lot of interest with companies. You're more visible, not only as DP World, but as a free port. So that's us, that's Tilbury, that's the Fort and Dagenham, but also, you know, local government, universities, etc. So it gives far more, a grabs more attention into the market and further community, not only here locally, but also much further international, and that's basically what we want. So it gives all the visibility. That's one. Second thing is, and those are the clear advantages. There is, you know, there's all there's tax incentives and all those kind of things. So let's say financially, it makes it interesting to do that, not only for us, but especially for people that are coming here and, and occupy the facility. So it will attract a foreign uh, foreign investment. Now, I think for the local community because it will create more. How do you call it? Working together from all kinds of companies and associations, universities, governments, all leveling up the local area. We're talking far more as a Thames Freeport with universities to see what we can do to accelerate skills. What kind of skills do we need, etc. So it, it, it creates everything together. It creates like a, a yeah an overall boost in economic and social activities to make it attractive. And I think that's the positive part about the uh, Freeport. In our discussion so far about the logistics park and about sort of trade flows, I mean, obviously they focus very heavily on fruit. Uh, <laughs> but I was wondering also if we could talk about e-commerce. Levels of demand soared during the pandemic. It's not entirely clear whether that, that growth will continue as shoppers return to bricks and mortar retail stores. But I just wondered if you had any comments or thoughts about e-commerce volumes flowing through the port, but also being rationalized in the logistics part? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, as you mentioned over the past few years, the e-commerce has, has really taken off. Even if the economy is slowing down, e-commerce is there to stay. People will not now suddenly decide to go to the shop. I mean, they will keep ordering online. They will do things as they used to do. So there will be no change. It might be a little bit less, and, but then it will pick up again. So. The e-commerce is there to stay with ups and downs, but that's a little bit the same as the, as the, I mentioned the fruit as an example, but for the e-commerce, it is a little bit the same. When we ships go over here, we transport containers to one of the uh, warehouses and from there, the company that runs it and sends it to their uh, different distribution center or into London or wherever it has to go. So the e-commerce is something that will stay a very important for our business model as well. E-commerce we've seen has been growing over the past years significantly. One of the issues that we have faced in the UK, and it's not peculiar to the UK as it's been happening over the years, but we've, you know, the port industry has been rather dominated by industrial action in recent months. But 
largely absent at the DPR facilities. And I just wondered if you could give us an insight into your neighbor relations policy. Well, the only thing what I can comment over there, because I mean, you know, what the actions which are going on somewhere else, you have to contact the other ones, how that's going. But let's say for DP World, what I can comment is that we have a professional relationship with the unions. We look after our people. I think in general, the relationships are good. And at the moment, things are going okay. And I think that I don't see any issues at the moment. And just very briefly, returning to the construction of the fourth berth, I wondered what sort of job numbers that might create. Well, in terms of construction, there is going to be quite some people constructing over the next two years. So that creates jobs for construction people or being involved. Afterwards, when we have 30% more capacity, it will, of course, also boost our headcount with a few hundred people. Plus the fact that it will create a lot of other jobs around us. For example, the logistics park, because of that, we'll see that more sheds are going up. They need people, etc. And it will also create more jobs and transportation and all kinds of other things around us. So yeah, everything together, it will definitely uh, create a few thousand jobs on top of it. Given the sort of shortage of workers in, in, in many sectors of the economy, do you have any particular sort of policies with regard to sort of attracting labor and, and you know, hiring good talent and retaining talent? Yes, we see that the market is tight. I must say we as DP World uh, are doing pretty okay. Of course, there is always certain positions that is more difficult to recruit than other positions. I think at the moment it's going pretty good. We keep pushing it. I think one of the important things that we have to do is make sure as a brand, we're well known in the area. It's, it's, uh, I can see that there is still some work to do, uh, but we have to make sure that DP World is an attractive company. So we are uh, already, but in the future, we have to put a lot of energy into making ourselves better known in the area and tell people where we stand for. And once people know us and they see what we're doing, yeah, we're, we're pretty good in retaining the people. I think everybody finds this a good place to work. We have a lot of challenges and a lot of, there's a lot of innovation going on and a lot of opportunities within the company as well, not only even here in London Gateway or Southampton, but even people that are interested to go, uh, you know, other places in the world, uh, we can usually provide that. So I think as a company, we, we are attractive. We have to make ourselves more attractive, but yeah, I think we are attractive enough to, to keep the people and get, get more people on board as well. Another hot topic is digitization and adoption of cutting edge technology. London Gator is the first port in the UK to adopt automation in its yard. And a few years later, brought out the, where's my container? tool, which I personally thought was very cool. I just wondered what other technological initiatives you might have on the go and, and which of those you're sort of most excited about. The digitalization is a very important part. I mean, we believe as a company that that is the future. We've seen that over the past decades as well, with all the fancy technology and the digitalization, you know, things are much more transparent. Uh, people want to have the information. So we have to dive into it. So if you see the amount of apps. What you know, what you have on your own phone and what you're using, it, it's amazing. Your whole life is being run by uh, digitalization apps. So it's a very important part of the business. Now, as I mentioned before, we have the company CNS, eh? Container Net, uh, Community Network Services, which does all the um, customs releases, etc. Now, there has been a lot of development uh, in CNS over the past few years. Of course, they work heavily together with uh, head office. Because if you look at those technologies, we as DP World UK 
do a lot, but you know, it, it's far better if you do this together with head office, of course, because there's far bigger knowledge of things available as well. So we work very close together with head office to develop digital products. And I'm talking about, like you mentioned yourself, where's my containers, but there is a lot of other apps that have been developed and that are being developed to use for the market. But we also look at other technology, like for example, BoxBay. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but that's like a, a system of container stacking, uh, basically the next generation of, of, of container stacking in the ports. We have cargo speed, which is basically based on, on the Hyperloop system that you go very fast from one place to the other. Now, that will not say that all these things will also come to the UK, of course, but all these developments in this technology, we pick uh, all kinds of pieces up from that and then we implement it in our own facilities over here. But going back to the digitalization, yes, there is a lot going on, not only in the UK, but we work very heavily with head office on this whole thing as well. Just in relation to tech adoption, digitalization, it's almost gone hand in hand with DP World's vertical integration strategy, which has been increasingly apparent over the past couple of years with the number of sort of acquisitions. And so I just wondered really how you see that vertical integration strategy manifesting itself in this country and equally how it connects up with the supply chains that run in and out of the UK. Yeah, like I said in the beginning, the only way you can stay in the market like this is that you have to go from end to end. I mean, these days the world is so complex and the demands of customers and everybody is so complex and demanding is that you cannot just say, well, I take a little piece and then uh, do it. It doesn't work that way. So you have to go the whole way as much as possible. So the fact that DP World has bought a logistics company, uh, companies like Imperial and Syncreal earlier this year. They are a great addition to our ports business as well. Let's say we, we are very uh, specialized in port activities, transport activities, etc., and they are far more specialized in the warehousing thing. There is a forewarning element. There is the, all, all, all the, the, the upstream and downstream logistics, which they are looking at. So putting it all together, including the feeder company, let's say, let's take for example, Unifeeder, uh, if you put all these elements together, then, you know, we as DP World are able to provide products from end to end. Now, that will, of course, have an, have an impact into the UK as well. We have Syncreon uh, here in the UK. We have our own facility over here. DP World is, uh, of uh, Unifeeder is present uh, here in the UK as well. So we have a lot of options on providing that to customers. And that's what we're doing. That's why we are working in a vertical way, you know, we're not looking at only one part of the supply chain anymore. What we're look, really looking at is, you know, where does the cargo come from and what are all the different steps within the supply chain and where can we provide uh, the service? You know, we can provide and you only see that here. Syncreon or warehousing can do it over here. DP World UK in the fort over there. Then we have a transport company and rail. So all these elements we're trying to put together and we have to put it together. Otherwise, Will long term, uh, it will not be sustainable if we stay where we are. Could you finally talk us through some of the challenges that you need to overcome in terms of integrating this? Because there's quite a lot of disparate elements, a lot of moving parts going going on here, isn't there? Yeah, of course, there is a lot, a lot of challenges to integrate it. It does not mean that everything will be completely integrated. Eh? I mean, it's not like you, uh, you know, you, you have to look at at all the the qualities and the strong points what the different uh, companies are doing and use that, but yeah, there has to be a link together. So 
basically, instead of only looking vertical, we also have to look at it uh, horizontal. Now, there's a whole organization set up to, to do that. And it, it will take some time, of course, to uh, work it all out. And in, in longer term, there will be some integration. If you look at, for example, at, you know, finance systems or HR systems, I mean, all these kind of things will be far more standardized than maybe the individual companies have themselves. So, so yeah, there is a lot of work to do, but I think we've started with that earlier this year. I think that the plan, which laid off on the table and uh, looks pretty robust and looks also very, uh, you know, very, very uh, good. I, mean, I think we are capable of providing a, a lot of services and doing a lot of things for anybody who wants it. And yeah, that looks quite exciting to uh, pick that up. May I ask you one final question, Ernst? Um, the supply chains in the UK, I think we can sort of fairly safe to assume that they're moving out of the pandemic period now, further COVID strains notwithstanding. I just wondered how you see the container supply chains in, in the country evolving, and especially if you like through the prism of the fourth berth being built at London Gateway. We as DPW, DP World here in the UK, we came out of the pandemic very good. I think one of the best decisions we made when the pandemic started is that a lot of companies said, okay, I have to wait for investment, let's stop and let's see how things are going. And, you know, we're here for the long term and we say, well, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep recruiting. We want to keep training people. We are going to keep investing because, okay, you always have a dip, but you always come out of the dip again. So I think that was a good decision because that's, that's why we are where we are today. And I think we are in a very, very good position. The only thing what you see at the moment, and that has, the pandemic has created that, is that the just-in-time principle, which we, the globalization together with the just-in-time, which was always working, yeah, because of the pandemic and other issues related to it, we saw that there was definitely hiccups, big hiccups possible. Capacity problems, shipping lines that are not on time, so that means that the containers stay longer in the yard, so that's a problem, we don't have enough space. All these kind of things came to the surface. And I think what we learned from it and, uh, is, is that you have to create a bit more buffers. You have to make sure that there is resilience in the, the things that you do. And that's why we have to create this extra capacity. I think what we also will see that sourcing of goods will be a little bit more localized. So the companies will not only source, for example, in the Far East, they will also say, okay, you know, I have most of it in the Far East, but I will also source of producer things a bit closer to home to make sure that I can always uh, deliver and, and, and not have to, you know, depend on potential problems in the supply chain. And, and I think at Chipped in the UK, I think we, we've, as DP World, we've picked it up pretty good. I mean, we, I think we've seen where the risks and the challenges are, and, and that's why we are putting the capacity up. And not only along the gateway, and that's why I mentioned before Southampton, we've put over the past two years quite a lot of money over there. We're getting a little bit more areas. We've done some deepening in the channel. So we kept going there to make sure that we're ready, that we're always a little bit ahead of the market. And yeah, I think that's what we've learned out of the two years, that the market can be very vulnerable and we have to, to make sure that we are resilient. I guess with Southampton, it's very much a question of, it's in a very mature port in terms of the physical space left to grow, right? So I guess with Southampton, it's, it's very much about optimizing operations and, you know, winning efficiencies as and where you can. Yes, of course. And uh, always talking to the landlord there, if there was areas available or other things, then uh, we jump into it. We're going to look there at doing some warehousing there as well. 
because we see that the London Gateway, it has been very successful. So we want to pick up some elements, what we've done along the Gateway and uh, replicate that basically to Southampton. And that will definitely uh, help uh, in Southampton as well. But you are right. I mean, it is the more mature business. It's far more locked in, but that does not mean that we leave it to status quo. We always keep pushing on, on getting more and doing it better. And Schultz, thank you ever so much for joining me on today's Lone Star podcast. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to a sponsored Lodestar podcast produced in association with DP World. You can find more podcasts from the Lodestar on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find our back catalogue of podcasts and a whole lot more news on thelodestar.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you soon.